We're good. I'm good. We're good. Ladies and gents, welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I am here with Erwin Seguia, the PT extraordinaire, one of the co-founders of MatchFit Performance. I've been following him for a while. He posts some really good content for both new grads as well as business owners. So really like his stuff. I know he will be giving us some valuable tips and advice and it'll be interesting to, to hear his take from the other side of the world. Thanks, so, brother. So welcome, Owen. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, just, I'm super stoked. Yeah. And what time is it, just for clarification for the audience, because it's quite bright outside where I am and quite <laughs> dark where you are? Pretty dark here. It's uh, 8 p.m. in New York City Six. right now. Awesome. The big city, Big Apple. Yes, sir. And what's it like in, in New York as a, as a physical therapist? So also for the audience, we'll refer to you as a PT or a physical therapist. Are you? Yeah, you can call me physio. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. I know a few people are like a physiotherapist slash physical therapist. They're kind of same. Yeah. Difference. yeah. Cool. So what's it, what's it like in, in New York city as a, as a business owner? Oh, uh, it's, it's definitely, there's pros and cons. There's different stressors and things. Um, there's so much that I enjoy about being able to run our own practice here in New York City. Um, I mean, the long story short is that my first job was in a mill. I was seeing, <clears throat> pardon me, four to six clients a, a, an hour um, for an eight-hour shift. And that was, you know, it was, a, it was a rude awakening. And it was something that I realized, like, I didn't feel like it wasn't something I enjoyed. And it was it was something that really rubbed against the grain in the sense of like what I believed I thought I was doing. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I had to figure out a way out. Um, and even before I got into my first job or I was chatting with my, uh, with my girlfriend, uh, who is a year below me in PT school, but our whole discussion was like, what, what are we going to build towards? What's the, what's our, and potential end goal. And so the, the potential end goal was either to manage or even set up our own shop. And so we started working on it. You know, I started working on it the day I graduated from school and six years later or almost seven, here we are. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you were kind of stuck in a, a cycle of in it, churn in, churn out with, with clients, patients, you, sound like you didn't really have much say in the way the business was run or how you were practicing back then. Was that? No, I mean, in that, in that job, I, we were in, in network practice. So here in the States, uh, there's in versus in network versus out of network insurance, um, mm -hmm. within network, a lot of, a lot of every, everything basically gets taken care of by the insurance company and you only pay a small fee, which is called your co your copay. Um, versus out of network, which is uh, which can be covered by insurance, but only after a certain amount is met, which is a deductible. Um, and so, in network, we out of outside of my control, my company basically negotiated the per patient reimbursement rate. And so, in order to make any money, they basically had to go and ask for uh, you know, tons of money, or they had to bring in people in order to make money, uh, and make overhead, which is fair, right? Cause real estate is expensive and you have to pay for your bills. You have to pay utilities, you have to pay your employees. But, um, you know, our, 
our our work rate had to be high in order to pay those bills. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I didn't have any choice. I didn't have any choice. I didn't have any input into. Okay, well, you know, what are we getting back per per client per patient? So it was literally all right. You know, first day was like here. We just we just fired our for our last employee. You're just going to jump right into his caseload. Uh, we expect you to see about about like twenty to twenty eight per day, um, and you know get after it. Good luck. And I was like, oh, sick. This is like new grad excitement, and just uh, it was it was exciting at first, and then after three or four months, I was like, oh god, like I don't want to be here for ten years. Like I can't. I don't, I don't see myself being here for more than two years. Yeah, wow. From new grad excitement to almost burnout in in four months. <laughs> it, it, was, like. it was quick. It was, it was pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. We talk about, uh, I, I'm sure you've, you've been across the clinical athlete paradigms with the constraints-led training approaches, talking about constraints in your workplace. That sounds like a, a huge one there. So I imagine you weren't able to really practice the way you wanted or you kind of had the system systematic approach back then. Yeah, I mean, constraint-wise, like as a new grad, there was there was obviously this huge learning curve, right? So figuring out how to just get my processes in place and like what I needed to look at, and so it was not so much of a rude awakening. Uh, it was almost a it was a blessing in disguise, right? Because um, you have to get very good at managing your time. You have to get you have to be very good at um, learning to communicate and to communicate very efficiently. And so, you know, there was, there was all of the, there was a lot of learning that happened. I was there for about like a year and a half, I think. Um, but yeah, between juggling time management, being able to make sure that my documentation was done on time to making sure that I was able to communicate as efficiently as possible. And then even through like the clinical side of, okay, how do I run an eval? Um, and I, I thought, I felt like I had a good handle on like being able to rule out red flags as quickly as possible and then just being like, okay, well, this is what we need to do. But definitely like, you know, 20, 2013, when I finished PT school, 2013 Irwin versus 29, uh, 2020 Irwin would have absolutely different conversations. Um, you know, and definitely such a different demeanor when like, especially when it comes to some of those complicated, the complicated cases that I had seen that I remember having, having seen and that I would see now for sure. And I, I love the, the reflections that you're using. It's, it's all reframed towards the, the positives, like what you took out of it. The, you look, you were forced to improve on so many aspects of your like, communication skills, time management. Uh, you weren't just, you know, it wasn't just a shit place that you learned nothing from. So you, you took some, some valuable lessons along the way, even though the, the environment was so restrictive. That's great. Yeah. You have, like you have to, it's, it's, there's, especially as a clinician, like, I mean, we, we can all acknowledge these high burnout rates, but in order for us to get better at anything, like we have to be able to pull lessons from these things. And, um, you know, it's definitely, none of it is a waste of time unless you can't, unless you pull a lesson out of something or you're able to learn something from whatever experience. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a rude awakening and there was, I mean, there were kind of, it was already like bubbling below the surface between like this, 
like what what did I want to do? And that working at this at my first job was literally just that smack in the face where it's like, oh, this is like this is real. I have to figure this out, and let's, I would like to figure it out sooner than later. So 2013, Irwin to 2020 now, Irwin. What 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 were the the processes along the way? How did you kind of change? You mentioned that you you would have had different conversations, or you would have had different approaches with some of the the harder cases. What was the the process like to upskill in your in your clinical practice? It's a great question. Um, and when you, I, I tried thinking about some of this before we got into it. I mean, uh, a lot of the continuing education that had kind of started to facilitate this change in framework, uh, like my mental frameworks. Um, I definitely was lucky enough to shadow and or have worked in. Um, some places that encouraged a lot of critical thinking. So my last affiliation or internship or fellowship before I graduated from uh, PT school, um, Marcus Foreman, he runs a place here in the city called uh, Centurion PT. Um, he was the one that started asking these questions like, uh, and as a, as a new grad slash student, I was like, oh yeah, your hip flexor's tight. And he would be like, hold on, hold a second. He's like, define tight. And so we would have these long conversations that would make me feel super uncomfortable because I was like, like, this is what I've learned. And he's like, I understand it's what you've learned, but like, what, what is the definition of tight? And then, you know, and having me think through this whole process was the first step in that. Um, being, I was kind of a lurker, especially in the Twitter world and on social media, especially after I finished PT school. So um, Adam Meekins was another one of those people that kind of started to facilitate that thought change. And it was a long one for him just because he's, he's so inflammatory, but, and I can respect it now, especially because um, when I graduated, I wanted to be a manual physio, like I wanted to be good with my hands. I, uh, I learned about METs and, you know, Hey, I was, uh, I worked with people that had done ART and I wanted to be able to be good with these, but, um, you know, the, his conversations like, Oh, I don't, I don't do manual. And I was like, why? Like, what does he do? How does he conduct a session? And, you know, over the course of, uh, I think after when I graduated in 2013 to like over three years, so maybe 16, 17, I was learning like, learning how to apply exercise much more efficiently. Um, uh, a notable fact about our program is that they, uh, at NY, I graduated from NYU, um, they made it mandatory that we finished with a, a strength and conditioning uh, certification. And so the, this like, and also this person that I had worked with, his name is Dan Giordano at Bespoke Treatments, he, he was like, movement is important. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so being able to facilitate like, all right, why do I use manual therapy in the context of, are we get, we're getting some sort of neurological change and now, okay, what can we do to get people to move with less discomfort? Is it manual therapy or is it, is it movement or can we use both? Um, and then being able to apply that strength and conditioning in order to get people to move better and feel more confident in their movement. So like through bespoke treatments, uh, another place in New York city called BFIT physical therapy was Brian Gurney and uh, Erica Aiken. Um, they, they were both like, they helped me facilitate a lot of the movement and the exercise that uh, led down that path. And 
most recently, I think in the past two years, having taken FRC. Um, so like Andrea Spina, uh, Andrea Ospina and, um, shoot. And then with the Tim Gavitt course, like being able to really efficiently incorporate movement into the treatment, uh, into treatment and like what we've seen or what we're starting to see in, in the literature between, um, people already just getting better over the course of, you know, anywhere from four to six weeks to 12 weeks. Like what can we do to get people to feel feel more confident in their movement, just reassure them that, you know, after having ruled out red flags, like reassuring them, like, listen, this is going to, this is going to resolve. What can we do to get you closer to um, whatever activity that you're doing? So in our case, we work with a lot of higher level athletes. So it's like, if you're looking to deadlift, if you're looking to squat, what can we do like in any clinical athlete, like what can we do to scale you down? But you can still continue to train and not miss out on any gains or like we don't have any severe drop off in your training load. Love it. And so you reframe it in terms of their functional capacity. I love the, the, uh, the capacity kind of paradigm that FRC uses. It's like if, if the load exceeds your tissue capacity, you're more likely to be injured. So you can use that in a way to frame the importance of just general movement mm -hmm. and, and kind of facilitating that process as the natural history occurs. 100%. Yeah. And you were showing some examples with, with your, your placements as well as your courses on how to do that. So it wasn't like you were, you were left in the dark. You were helped, kind of supported and guided through that process with, with a few mentors, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. It was, I, was, I, was, I think I was very, very, pardon me, I was very lucky with, the, with my placements, with the people that I um, you know, worked with and had the pleasure of like observing. And uh, a lot of the, I had, I had ended up reaching out to a lot of clinicians as well, just to ask to observe and pick their brains. And um, Chris Johnson is another one of those who runs Zarin PT out in Seattle. Like um, just the, the ability to have people give some insights and then also ha have me kind of question, uh, question my framework and, you know, everything that I had learned in PT school. So it's, uh, it's definitely something that, I was very, very lucky enough to have been in the right position and ask the right people and have the right people indulge and, and give me the right information or at least point me in the right direction. Yeah, love it. So kind of accelerated the process a little bit for you as you were reflecting on, on the things that perhaps weren't so updated in university. Say again? It kind of helped you out with the, the reflection of like looking yeah. at the things that I mean, looking back on, on my university days, we were still taught the, the core paradigm, having to palpate the transfers of Dominus, you know, Australia, yep. where, where the, the kings of core stability stemmed from. I'm sure you would have heard. What are some of yep. the, if, if we were to, um, to, to be nice about it, some of the like, unhelpful paradigms you learned in, in university days? Oof, that, yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. So many. Uh, there's so many. <laughs> I mean, between like... Um, you know, pelvic, pelvic upslip, downslip and rotations and being able to palpate it. And, um, there was my, my girlfriend and business partner, Reno was scanning a lot of her notes in from, from school. Uh, and she like called me over to look at one of the things. And one of our favorite, uh, professors, there was one snippet that she had written down and on her notes that was the spine is inherently unstable. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like what? <laughs> both of us were like what is this um and like 
it's not it's not intentional but like there's there's you know these paradigms especially with the core stuff um gluteal amnesia is like another one of those you know which like i i remember reading some article where mcgill was like he's like i never meant to take it to, it was never meant to be taken to that level um it, he was like oh there was it was just this one thing that we happened to observe in this experiment and then it just got blown out of proportion proportion so um i'm trying to think of other stuff yeah pronation like pronation in relation to like knee valgus and uh increased risk of knee injury like you name it uh static posture in the shoulders related to shoulder pain uh oh man like all of it now it's just so funny because i'll see it on social media and all I'll discuss things with other physios that want to use me as a soundboard. And I like, sometimes I have to like do my best to like bite my tongue and just like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, but how about this? Like, and being able to like, that's been another one of the, the soft skills that I've been working on, especially we work in, um, we just got, we just finished with a game. Um, we work, uh, my business partner and I work in the G league, which is the, the secondary league to the NBA. So we just finished the game today. Um, but the ATC there is amazing. Um, Jana Austin, but we have these conversations with her like, Oh, do you really think that static posture is indicative of shoulder pain in some of these players? Or, um, you know, do we really, do you really think that we need to focus on core stability in order to, um, or in order to alleviate the back pain in some of these players, when we look at, you know, trend changes in their trends, like either if it's poor recovery or they played three games back to back and now they're feeling really sore. It's like, is it really their core strength? So yeah. Um, oh man. Some of those paradigms. <laughs> I just like, yeah. insane. all the, all the fixer kind of mindset paradigms, like dysfunctional yeah. movement, basically one Oh one, what is wrong with this person and what can we fix? Yeah. And, and I like how you, you, you kind of question the, the ATC that you work with and you asking the same questions that your mentors asked you back in the day. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, like that, that skill I think has been super valuable. And I think we're lucky enough to be in an organization that really encourages co communication and conversation. Um, and I think, I think it's not very prevalent and it's not, uh, it's not common in a lot of other organizations, unfortunately, but we're, we're so lucky that there, uh, there are people that are willing to kind of check their biases as, as much as they're willing to, but they're still willing to potentially acknowledge other perspectives. And it's been super helpful, uh, especially with our ability to kind of start affecting what we see at the lower levels of, you know, the NBA. That's great. And you can influence not only the coaches there, but the, the athletes themselves, the kind of conversations yeah. they have in the change rooms and when they are injured, what, how they respond and what they say, their expectations. That's great. Yeah. Kind of grassroots level. It is. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty grassroots. And like I had a conversation with one of my athletes the other day, who's this like, he's like six, six, four, six, five. He's a, he's a center. And he's like, yeah, I have this other PT. He's like, I have back pain. I had this PT, that old PT that told me that it was because my pelvis is rotated. And I was like, okay, why do you think, why do you think that? And he was like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, well, do you think that your pelvis 
can slip like that? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And, and then we had this like anatomical discussion, like your ligaments are actually very strong. Like if, you're, if your pelvis is slipping around, we have like way bigger problems and, you know, like discussing how much force it takes to, you know, dislodge those ligaments. Like maybe if you got into a car accident or a plane crash. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's good. Like, and we'll have our athletes come to us and they're like, what do you think about this? And they just like, sometimes it's like, there's so much banter cause they're like, they know how I feel about certain things like Theraguns and they'll be like, Hey, Erwin, they'll like show up this, throw up this Theragun, like whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. Maybe some kinesio tape, magical kinesio tape and let's say fix oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> Love it's, it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so good that you're you're using the the questioning to to everyone, not only your colleagues. You're using it to your your athletes as well. So you're kind of using the same techniques. You kind of, I think, I think we tend to at least I've made the mistake of kind of being the paternal dude on on social media and saying calling out the BS a bit too much, maybe sometimes, even though it's it can be a bit fun and funny. But like, I think it, yeah, I think it's important though. I think it needs to happen and like. Mm. I, I, I've been, I've waned through those, those like these periods where I just get on full tilt and I'm like, I just want to call out all this stupid shit. Like I'm going to, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. Um, Fuck yes, but, you can. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay. Um, but, so yeah, it's, you know, like between making memes and I admittedly, I don't feel super, I'm not super creative in that sense, but like between making memes or even just like, stuff we've seen with Brent Brookbush. Like I've been blocked by Brent Brookbush cause I called him out on, you know, stupid crap. But, um, yeah, I, it's important. I think it, we need to call it out. And I wait, I, I wax and wane between these, like, how is it worth my energy to like really go after this person? And is this person even really willing to entertain a conversation? Um, I was listening to a podcast with, uh, Zach Gabor and Shante Colefield, um, where they were discussing like, oh, well, why don't you, you know, directly reach out to those people? And like, even if they don't respond, like, you know, you at least tried to make an effort to make that conversation. But um, I know I, in the in the Facebook groups that we're in, it's like some of these people take, they take it too seriously. And it's, you know, there's, I'd like to say that there's probably, like there's only so much you can do when you put out some of that material. And if you like, even if it's with the best intent, like some people might take it too personally and it's not something that you can control necessarily. Um, but I think as long as it's, as we're trying to encourage conversation and people aren't getting like extremely hurt over it, then, you know, um, or even, or even, yeah, like sometimes people are going to get hurt. Like I, I know Adam Megan's has posted like tons of things where I, when I finish finished PT school and I was like, how could he say that? Like, I, yeah, I just remember being so upset. I was like, what does this guy fucking do in his treatments? Like, does he just sit and talk to people? Like, does he have people like do some crazy treatment that he's trying to sell? But, but yeah, man, it's, a. Uh, I think the conversation is important and like whatever is authentic to you or to me or, you know, the people that really enjoy your material, like you should continue to put it out. That's great. And I think it's important that we don't create these kind of camps that we suddenly have an in-group and an out-group. Instead, we kind of work for a common, common goal of helping people, right? 100%. And I like that you, you had the, the kind of visceral angry reactions back, back in the day to making stuff. How are you like now? Uh, 
I think it's funny when him, and, I think it's hilarious when him and uh, Brooke Bush go after each other. I, it's, it's all, I, I'd like pay for that UFC fight in the octagon. Um, but I mean, you know, there's, there's people that just won't, they're so sold into their beliefs that they're pro- the likelihood of them not like dislodging from their position is super high. So it's like you, we think risk reward, I guess, like, is it really worth like going after this dude? Um, or, you know, or do you want to give him a good ribbing? Like, is it great for engagement? Like, sure. We can play that game, but yeah. Yeah. What kind of gets you the exposure and the controversy and the likes <laughs> and the comments, the engagements might be a bit different to what it would be helpful for their behavior change or their kind of thought process. Like how, sure. how many likes would one Socratic question get as opposed to like a really long winded essay answer with references and. Right. Right. I think Adam Meekins literally just put a post about that. It was like him doing burpees and his budgie smuggler versus like a post talking about like legitimate shit. Um, but yeah, I mean, what that it's very, that's a whole other uh, rabbit hole in terms of, uh, you know, social media and like, uh, just the dynamics there. It's like, what are, what do, what do the people want? And like, you know, if you're really putting out value, then that's great. But you know, if you're doing it just for the likes, then yeah, I guess, is it really worth it? If it is, then sure. Great. Go for it. Yeah, exactly. What's your purpose of the, of the content that you're putting out and what's, who's the audience? I think it's, it's also hard to kind of differentiate if you're going for the layperson or if you're going for your colleagues. So and, and you mentioned that you were a lurker back in the day, social media lurker. Is that I right? I was. I just, pro- I just, I processed and took a look at a lot of the information. Like I interacted with Meekins a couple of times um, and like as that new grad and he just like fucking shut me down. And I was like, oh, what a fucking prick. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, I still do. There's just so much processing and like, willingly I still feel like sometimes I just have imposter syndrome where I'm like fuck I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm I'm looking to just gain as much insight and information like I posted in the group a couple times like asking for people's you know uh, the literature that some people like just so I can kind of stay updated and at least make sure that I'm not like at least falling behind uh, on on my information like what I tell my clients Um, so yeah I mean the, but yeah, I, I, you know, I do occasionally post information and, uh, you know, have these chats with new grads and mo- most of that information really, uh, it really moves towards soft skills and like business oriented stuff. So like being able to, we actually, I actually run a cohort that helps new, uh, new grads and like physios looking to transition into stuff like cash pay or even their, their own practice to like build that ethical brand. Uh, so like, yeah, uh, being able, it's fun being able to like balance being the clinician, but also balance being the, I I don't, I don't call myself an entrepreneur, but like the business owner side of things. That's great. And you're helping them out in their soft skills, which will translate to their clinical skills anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And as a, so as a, as a business owner, uh, what, what kind of things were some of the challenges starting the transition from working for someone else to getting your own, getting your own clients, getting your own uh, location or space or kind of having that plan at the start? Um, that plan was, I had set myself a five-year goal to, to either be managing somebody's practice or to, uh, or to, 
be running the, our own show. Um, so the, the way that I had set up all these mini goals, like for per year. So the first goal was to get my SCS, which is a sports clinical specialty. Um, and so I was like, Oh, do I go to residency? Do I stay for it myself? I applied for a residency and got denied. Um, and then I had to push that back a year, but the whole process between like, all right, well, let's figure out how do we minimize our overhead? So, um, I literally went to, at the time, I think it was like 12 CrossFit gyms in Manhattan and Queens. Uh, so Manhattan is like what everybody thinks of when they think of New York city. Uh, I live in Queens, which is in outer borough. Um, and out of 12, only two gyms were only willing to have a physio on site slash on staff. Um, but the caveat was they weren't, they didn't have enough money to pay a physio to be there all the time. So what I did was literally pitch these gym owners. Uh, they're like, yeah, you can come hang out. And it was literally this, you know, verbal agreement to just be around as much as possible. And so working a 40 hour work week at this high volume clinic, um, so the hours that I wasn't there, I was literally either there at the at gym opening until before my shift started, or I would come after my shift ended and I would stay until the gym closed. And it was like hours and hours of just like talking with coaches, like working on my Olympic lifting, like applying all the things that I learned in my strength and conditioning, sir, um, talking, taking classes with the same people and like eventually gaining people's trust. They're like, oh, you're a PT. Um, so like that whole process was like in the Gary V sense was just like literally just eating shit for like two years of uh, hanging out in a cross two different CrossFit gyms, training as much as I could um, picking people's brains. And then eventually it was like, people were like, Oh, Hey, I'll come and see you. Like, what do you charge? And it was wild. Like looking back at that, it was uh, 90 bucks, 90 bucks for an hour session. Um, and the, um, we have a direct access law in New York state specifically where you can't see, or you can see a physiotherapist, but you have to have at least three years of practice. And the only way you could get around it was getting a direct referral from a doctor. So what was interesting was that the people that wanted to come see me were like, Oh, I'll just go to my doctor and get a script. So we got around that legal loophole and then it was like, it was almost good enough because if they were willing to go to their doctor to get a referral, um, it was already like in the bag that they were going to come in. So there's like this hurdle that we were able to climb over. Um, but yeah, it was like two to three clients a week. It was like easy grocery money slash like beer money. And then, uh, and then, yeah, that, that just slowly grew into, okay, I'm going to sit for my sports residency, which turned into, oh, I need to work with teams directly. So who can we, like, how do I build these connections? And then sitting sideline for um, rugby and professional ultimate Frisbee, we, we're still affiliated with those two clubs. That's almost four years ago now. Um, and then, yeah, those gyms were like, hey, like, come and hang out. Like, well, if you, if you need to treat people, we'll charge you. Like, we negotiated a raise, like $20 per hour that we were using in the gym. Um, so yeah, we could like, turn a mild over we, we had a super low overhead um and it grew from there it was wild that's awesome so two years of hard networking getting to know people building the trust and the rapport building your reputation and finally 
it's still a process though, right? It's, it's not like you, you're like, you're smooth sailing from now, right? No, it's still, yeah. it's all, it's always still a process. There's always like, uh, I mean like, yeah, it was like $90 for a session per session. Then part of me then grow like figuring out like, okay, well I need to make more money because $90 isn't cutting it. So it's like it moved to 120 to 150 to 200. Now we charge 300 for an eval. Um, and then we've evolved, we've evolved this like monthly subscription with our clients where, you know, they pay for, they pay X times for however, or however times they want to see us per month, which includes like all this suite of things like between strength and conditioning programming, between personal check-ins, um, you know, assessing their wellness, uh, indicators, which is something that, you know, is now, now that we're finding, uh, is a, are, are very important external factors into how we experience discomfort. So it's, a, it's, it's evolved into so much more of a, a process that helps our clients understand what's going on with them. So they're not just coming in to get fixed. They're coming in with it and leaving with these tools of understanding their bodies much better. Love it. So it's more holistic looking at the, the health in general, as opposed to the, the injury or the pain that they, they come in with. Yeah, and, so. and also just for the background for, for the listeners, 300 is like pretty standard for New York because I think a, a few uh, listeners would have had their eyebrows raised here. It'd be what, maybe 100, 120, max 130. So uh, overheads, rent, kind of the competitors rates. What's kind of the, the median prices around NYC? I've seen anywhere from like 150 to like 350 the highest i've seen that of a P, like the pts that i've interacted with and observed with is he charges 500 a session so it's like the but again like it really just depends on you know what they're what these what your clinician is offering how they value their time what the rent what the rent space cost is um but yeah it, i'd say 300 is probably the median like uh average probably it's higher than the median. I'd probably say the average is anywhere from like 180 to 225. Awesome. And it's for an, an hour plus all the, the outside programming or, or correspondence. Uh, for us, it's, uh, for us, it's the, it's evals are about an hour and a half. I think we're undercharging 100%. Um, but yeah, the most of it is usually an hour plus like it's usually, yeah, the hour and then and sometimes home exercises or even programming, but it just it depends on the clinician. Makes sense. And in terms of the the kind of dilemma that I see and a few debates on, I'm not sure if you've come across the the elephant in the room, the overdiagnosis, over medication kind of research coming out now. As a as a business owner who's well aware of of the the evidence in the research and keeps on top of building and empowering. Their, their clients how do you as a business owner kind of have that the win for the business to make sure that you have a roof over your your head and you've got ongoing kind of profit to keep you going and keep the business running while still maintaining the ethics and your morals as a as a person who doesn't you know just make everyone come in every week for the rest of their life yeah, I mean that's that's a conversation we have with a lot of the, the our potential clients on the first call. It's trying to delineate ourselves from the traditional physical therapy practice, um, and the the tiers that we offer are usually dependent on what we you know what that person in front of us is really presenting with. So um, 
being, we, we really champion ourselves uh, on transparency and just being upfront. And so when somebody comes to us, maybe a, for example, maybe a CrossFitter that's dealing with a shoulder injury, maybe they, high, they, they have a high gym maturity. So is it really important for this person to come in four times a month or once a week? Probably not. Um, but if it's a person that's a CrossFitter, that's you know the same CrossFitter with a shoulder injury that has a hard time getting really motivated. Okay, well maybe you need to come in once a week so that we can stay on top of it. Do you want accountability? And those are some questions that we'll ask on those intake calls. Like, uh, you know, how, or what, what we'll discern from that history, from our history taking. It's like, you know, uh, I have a, a woman that I'm seeing right now for some shoulder discomfort. She was diagnosed through imaging. <laughs> Uh, with a with a labral tear and a 50% rotator cuff tear and so she's like she's like oh I'm a dancer I used to like to lift a lot uh, I want to get back to the gym um, I showed her I showed her exactly what I was going to put on her programming I was like there might be these variations but it's going to be literally this and she was like okay this is really really simple but on that conversation, she uh, on that first conversation, she told me that she hadn't been in the gym in six months. So I was like, listen, maybe w what we can do is we can start with two times a month. So once every other week. But if you're really comfortable, then I'm OK with you once a month. Like, but it's really in your hands. Um, and so like really putting the ball in our client's court and making sure that they understand that on the first call is like ethics wise is just so important to us because like, yeah, you will have people that come in, they're like, oh, fix me. And I like try to, I try to squash the conversation right there. I'm like, I'm not fixing you. Like your body, your body is going to resolve. We're like, we'll, as long as we're ruling out red flags, obviously, like everything is going to resolve. What are we going to do to help build up your resilience? And so, yeah, it's trying to get this, this fix me mentality, like I'm broken mentality out versus oh, well, I can build up to this. Like, I'm going to climb this mountain and get back to where I was. Um, and then having the, having the, being able to have that foresight and say, hey, it might take this amount of time. It might take longer. But the thing is, you need to be consistent. And so, yeah, uh, that's, that's how we kind of get around a lot of the, or not get around it, but like at least address the ethics. Because, um we, I have had unsuccessful clients where they expect to be fixed and they're like, oh, well, I don't want to come in, you know, I want to come in two times a week. I'm like, no, this isn't, it's not how this works. And I was, but um, yeah, having that conversation and saying like, the work is in your hands. Like I only see you for, if I see you once a week for four, uh, for four weeks, that's like less than 2.3% of your week. Uh, so you have to, there's so much stuff that you need to take care of that you need to address on your own that I can help you through. I can coach you through, but yeah, accountability is so important. Love it. And, and you go through that from the start. I think many of us probably mm -hmm. don't have as much time in their evaluation as that's another kind of constraint, but you, you have that first call before they even come in. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah. Sometimes we'll just have that first call if people just want, they want to get a feel of what we're about. And it's, it's not just a feeler for them to understand us. It's also for us to potentially figure out any yellow flags. So if somebody's like, Oh, I, I've seen X amount of providers and this and that, sometimes they end up being our ideal client. Um, but you know, we'll, there, there, there are things that people will say where it'll tip us off to be like, 
uh, we can try this, I can't guarantee anything. And addressing that certainty is another thing that's important in our profession too. Um, so we can almost kind of sort out people that might not succeed with us. Um, but, but yeah, the being able to sort through that is, is huge, but yeah, so we'll have that phone call. Um, or sometimes people just want to set up the eval right then and there. Uh, so we have, we usually have people block out two hours and I like to just let people talk. So yeah, we end up running through the two hours, just going through medical history, assessing their movement, you know, doing whatever, um, or assessing whatever functions that they, they're interested in doing so that we can modify and, and properly program for whatever they need. That's awesome. I, I'm sure there's a lot of valuable takeaways from that part because we get a lot of kind of issues with the kind of 30 minute appointments in, in some cases, 20 minute appointments I've heard it's quite crazy, but like having that time and giving that person the time to, to have a thorough evaluation. So thorough assessment, and then finding out where they've come from, finding out where they want to be, that goal setting process, that, yeah. that shit takes time. And, and being honest up front, like it's, it's all in your court. We are the coaches as opposed to the fixers. Yeah. And, and, and asking them as like, ask them how much accountability they want or how much support they, they need as well. Yeah. That's huge. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, like, it's funny just cause like, I think we can do it in shorter than two hours, but I always feel rushed. And even after like an hour, even after 90 minutes, I'm like, I feel like I'm rushing this person out the door because it like for, for myself personally, like it just takes so much energy to, to listen and process and like understand a lot of, you know, whatever factors that these people are dealing with in their heads, uh, uh, or even like their thoughts and beliefs between like prior healthcare providers and like, obviously we've heard everything. Right. Um, or even their own internal beliefs as to what's contributing to it. And how do I like starting to formulate my strategy of attack? Like, how do we address this? Like, Oh yeah, it was cause I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I work at a desk and I wasn't sitting right or I slept wrong. Like, how do you sleep? How does one sleep wrong? Um, but yeah, so that, I think being able to just listen and even motivationally interviewing and just like kind of figuring out the right questions to ask, ask makes that even like, even if you do have 30 minutes, there's always some sort of snippet or even just like, if you're paying attention to, through the session, like they'll say, people will say things that you're like, Oh shit. Like that makes sense. Like let's, let's check this rabbit hole out. Awesome. And you, you're giving them that time and, yeah, you're right. It takes, it does take a lot of energy as well through that. So yeah, I can imagine in some situations, if you had the shorter appointments, you'd have like no time for note taking, no time to reset and get ready for the next person coming along. That's, that's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah. If so, a couple of questions to, to round off the, the talk, I know respecting your time there. Uh, what, what were, if you could turn back time, what were some of the things that you would tell Let's, let's go, let's go, let's not go 2013 because we'll, we'll be nice. We'll, we'll go 2014, Irwin. If you could turn back time, what are some of the words of advice that you would give to 2014, Irwin? Oof. Uh, patience. Uh, long game. Play the long game. Um, and like, it's, it's exactly, that's basically exactly what I did. But I, between that and like, keep the faith, it's just there, there was, 
there was so much that I had put in that I put in believing in that would turn out well. Um, and I know there were definitely parts of time between like 2014 and now where I was like, fuck, like this is not turning out. Like I'm so frustrated. Um, how do I figure out how to give myself more energy? Uh, yeah, like definitely understanding that it's, it's such a long game. Um, I guess alternatively, like probably going out and having more conversations with people, um, and just being upfront. I think that's huge because, uh, like I am pretty, I'm pretty extroverted as I am, but like, I can only expend so much energy before I'm like, fuck, all right, I'm, I'm done. I'm tapped out. But, uh, being able to have more conversations, I think has opened up so many doors and being comfortable asking people for things, uh, especially as like the way that I was raised as, as a Filipino, it's just like be seen, but not heard. And just, you know, like, uh, it's like, yeah, I guess it's also Asian culture, but like, don't do anything to stand out. Um, but do do the right things in, in the sense of go out, ask questions, like be really, really inquisitive. Um, cause that has helped open so many doors and opened up so many conversations for, for myself. Um, but I, yeah, I think, I think those were, those are some solid ones I give myself. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So it's, it's a, the realization that it's a process rather than a, an outcome that you'll get in, in a year. It's going it's, it's lifelong, the, the ups and downs, the struggles, the challenges the, the mistakes along the way, and then having the, the energy and the confidence to just reach out to people and, and ask, ask questions, be active, just like we want our, our clients to be active in their, in their therapy, be active in our, process of of becoming better clinicians that's awesome and final question man if you were to give some advice to the social media lurkers i just love that term (laughs) so there's Uh, probably a few out there that that kind of it's it's not a bad thing to be a lurker i think it's great to learn through osmosis i know i definitely lurk a lot of groups what's some of the advice that you'd give to maybe give them that encouragement to or nudge them towards asking a question or being a little bit more active in their approach. But it sounds like you've, you've benefited from the questions that you've asked. Yeah. Um, if you've done, if you've read everything you can and you are coming to the conversation super educated, or even if you're not, there isn't like, I don't think there is such thing as a stupid question. Um, so, you know, the, I, I, I'm more inclined to think, I'm inclined to believe that a lot of us, uh, a lot of the clinicians that are posting this material are really, really keen on answering questions and being as helpful as possible. So if there's something you don't get, or if there's something that you really want to ask, like just ask, and it's probably better done in a DM than posting in a comment because it's easy for some comments to just gloss over, to be glossed over. So if you, if there's something, if you are lurking and you don't get something or you just really want to have a conversation, like just, just reach out and ask. Um, the worst thing that happens is you get ignored. Um, which is like, I think that's worst case scenario, honestly. Um, and even then, um, the up is magic. So being, making sure that you follow up and, um, you know, open up that conversation because the more that we communicate and, yeah, the more that we communicate, the better we make ourselves. Love it. Staying active and, 
and reaching out and not being afraid to, to DM people. I think the, the beauty of social media is we can DM whoever we want, whether or not they reply is another story, but at least we can make the effort and, and praise them for the work that they do. And, and then just, just see if, if uh, see where they can guide us kind of free mentorship in a way. Yeah. Love it, man. So we've been through a lot and I really, really like this conversation. I think it's, it's valuable for the, the new grads out there as well as the people that are probably thinking about their long-term game. I know that a lot of them are, a lot of people are perhaps thinking about what's, what's the next stage. Like where do I want to take this business wise or clinician wise, even research wise. There's so many avenues in this day and age. So really like the advice and tips and conversation that we've had, Owen. Uh, yeah. and any, any final words, man, for all, all the listeners in, in Sydney? Oh man. Uh, I need to get out to Oz. Um, yeah, I've, I know so many people out there. Um, some advice, uh, fuck man, ask questions, like be inquisitive, like be respectful. As long as you're safe and respectful, like everything's fair game. So like asking questions and, uh, I, yeah, that's something making the ask rather is, is huge. Um, for people that are looking to start their own business, like just start, just start, like see your first client and then figure out where that goes. And like uh, the, there's, there's so much that people have ideas on and they just never execute on them. This is so that all of these things are very Gary V esque. Um, but like just fucking do it. Um, you'll find out very quickly whether or not you like it or not. And if you, it's better that you try it and you're like, fuck, I don't want to own my own business versus like, Oh, I, like 15 years later, like ah, I should start my own business. Um, and even then it's still never too late. So just fucking do it. Love it. Love it, man. And yeah. if you want to, if, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, Erwin Segia PT on Instagram. Uh, our, my practice name is match fit performance. Uh, and then my website, I have to update it. It's just erwinsegiapt.com. Love it. Love it. Cool, man. Thanks so much for your time. And I'm sure we'll get you on again. Yeah, I, this is awesome. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Daniel. Sick. Thanks, Owen.